0: What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I am flying solo tonight. It's been a long time, a long, long time since I've done a solo podcast, but tonight is the night. So, Elliot couldn't be here. He has got power outage. There is storms going across Kansas right now, high winds and all that, and, well, he couldn't be here. So, this is actually take two on the podcast. Regardless, um, the first time we had corrupt files. That is the second time in the history of the Duck Gun Podcast where we've had that issue. So unfortunate, but you know it is what it is. The show must roll on. So here I am getting after it. But uh, let's start off with some updates, guys. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about a little bit about the video I just dropped today over on the old YouTube channel. We had an awesome three man limit. Three-man limit for the closer of the Michigan regular season with the Kevins. And it was just it was just an awesome hunt from the beginning. We had birds flying in there like you wouldn't believe. Landing before shooting light and then after shooting light, they just kept coming. I was a little worried. You know, sometimes you have birds come in first light and then the flight's over, but that wasn't the case today. They just kept on flying. Kept on coming in, onesie, twosie, and our shooting. I mean, I think we only let out. <clears throat> I think we only let out just one or two all morning. So um, definitely efficient on that. And chief was a retrieving machine. Thirteen retrieves on the day. Oh, we did get a bonus duck. Bonus duck um, was the the black duck, but everything else was mallards. But yeah, I mean, he was finding stuff in thick crap. Every year, guys, I think he gets a little bit better. Um, and, and you talk to people about their dogs and what age they kind of are in their prime where the fitness and their physicality is at a peak and also their their nose and everything else that goes into a dog is kind of – I mean, Chief knows the game. I mean, we, we hunt, I don't know, 50 times a year. And this is the first year where I've left them here. They're just – you know, having too many dogs or, or whatnot, but uh I don't like leaving them. But just to make it work on the hunts, this is the first year I've done that. Um, just a little bit here or there. And I'm so like I'm saying, he gets out about forty or fifty times a year. The old saying, dirt under the dirt under the feet that makes a dog. And it's sure the case with the chief. He's come into his own and he just surprises me. He I mean He just does it. He goes in there. He finds the birds. He does everything you need a dog to do. I mean, we shot those birds over and over. He'd be coming in from retrieves. They'd fall in the water behind him. He'd come in. I'd send them back out. He'd come in. I'd send them back out. Just nonstop action, and he just didn't miss a beat. The only one we had to get in the boat for, we had to get in the boat for two. One fell across from us. He didn't see it into the cattails. Chief's not a real technical dog. He's just a solid Amazing. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna brag. I'm not biased. Maybe I'm biased. I'm biased. He's my dog. He's my. He's my boy. <laughs> but uh, going out there on the other side, it fell. He wasn't watching. He doesn't like I'm saying. He's not a technical dog. I don't do the hand signals that well. You know, if I'm right next to him, my point somewhere, he's gonna go where I point. But there's no whistle sit. They're swimming in the water and hand signals. You know, we just didn't get to that point of his training. Um, but took him over there. He was able to find the bird over there, and then I shot another one that was crippled. Real impressive. I mean, jumped off the front of the boat, swam along the side of the cattails, got in there right where the bird was at, and found it right away. So overall, guys, I mean, it was just an awesome, awesome hunt. Um, A lot of the stuff you don't see in that video is I camped that whole weekend, uh, and that was hunt number four. So (laughs) I actually got skunked a couple times before um, on that weekend. Camping in the bus was a lot of fun. It starts off, that video starts off in the bus. And Titus, actually, he made a funny comment talking about He's like, oh, I bet that chili barked later. Something along the lines of those. I think you guys can pick up on context clues of what he's talking about. But uh, (laughs) that morning after ate the chili the night before, cooked it right there on the wood-burning stove. Duck bus is awesome for that. Um, But the night after that, man, uh, I, I was just hopping boat launches, camping there in the bus, stealth camping. Nobody knew I was there. And there was an outhouse there. So that was my plan. Woke up in the middle of the night, stomach rumbling, not a good situation. But it was cold. I mean, freezing cold. The bus, I'd ran out of wood in the burner. I'm like, I, I'm just staying in my sleeping bag. I'm not getting up. Give it another hour. I'll do it right before the hunt. And sure enough... I get out there, I drive the bus over to where the outhouse was and walk up to it. It was locked. At this point, I was panicking because I already pushed it off an hour. Had chili, gas station food on the way up, not a good situation. And now I have to find somewhere to go take a dump for, <laughs> for, for uh, lack of better words. But um, jumped in the bus, like I said. Almost in a panic, almost, almost an emergency because I already had it in my mind. My body knew what was happening, and when I got to that outhouse and it was locked, I had to make I had to make something happen fast. But luckily, gas station opened at five, so I was like, got there as they unlocked it, waddled over to the bathroom, and took care of business. So <laughs> close call, close call, but we got out there on the hunt. Like I said, awesome, awesome end to the season. Mallard limits, black duck, not wood duck, black duck, bonus black duck, and couldn't be happier with how we ended the regular split. So now we're in a little bit of a law. we got the two-week law and duck season. I can get after some geese, but, man, they really aren't here in numbers. So it's going to take some looking to find some of those. Do have a few options, just not in numbers yet. But the later it gets in our season, the more, the more those goose hunts get a lot of fun. So. Um, yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much where I was at on the updates. Um, today's video, like I said, or video today's podcast, we're going to be, well, you know, the, we're doing the Q and a from the Facebook group. Like I said, Elliot actually did it with me the first time around. So I've already seen all the answers, but I I have a terrible memory. I feel like, so (laughs) I'm just going to read them again, go through them and answer them again. I feel, I felt bad, even though we recorded it once. I felt bad if I didn't go back through and hit up all the questions over there. So fellowship of the duck gun. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, jump over there. Full of podcast and YouTube listeners, viewers from Elliot's channel, freelance duck hunting, and mine as well, and the podcast. So it's growing all the time. Um, never been bigger. Never been more nor, more happening place. Um, but yeah, we got a ton of comments over there. So we're going to jump to that. Um, but while we're talking about the YouTube channels, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give a little bit of plug, guys. Um, as many of you know, I'm racing Matt, High Prairie Sportsman, to 20K. It's been an ongoing battle for years. And he is, you know, the arch nemesis of the Duck Gun podcast, Duck Gun Chronicles. Not really. We're awesome buds. But um, I got to beat him. I got to beat him at 20K. I don't know. I don't care how nice of a guy he is or how many cinnamon rolls he puts in his chili. We got to freaking beat him to 20K. And this year we crushed it, we passed him we got to finish this race strong. He is closing in. I got the lead, but I need your help, guys. You're going to love the channel over there, Duck and Chronicles. I know most of you have probably seen a video if you're not subscribed already. So those of, you, those of you who are not, jump over there, guys. Help me beat Matt from Hyper Sportsman. And along the way, you're going to see all these cool videos, like the one I just told you, guys, the hunt update I just gave you on the bus and the limits and all that. That's over there on the YouTube channel. So you don't want to miss it. That video came out today. But, yeah. Let's go ahead, get a quick word from the partners, and then we'll jump right into today's topic. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to Onyx. Onyx has been huge for me this year. I think this year, more than any other year, I've increased my number of duck hunting spots, opportunities, videos, where I've been on these hunts. You can check them out. So, um, But Onyx, in the palm of your hand, wherever I go, I have it. I can click on the land See the tax information of the landowner. Go knock on the door and get permission. Public land, same thing. You can see the boundaries. You know where you stand. You know that you're legal where you're hunting. So it is the perfect thing for a duck hunter. I don't know how we could do it without that. Obviously, they had the old ways with the GIS maps or whatever they're called. That was before my time, really. OnX and mobile applications are the way of the future when that comes the way that goes so check them out guys on x you won't regret it also like to give a big thanks to motion ducks motion ducks is the perfect solution for those no wind days they have the regular spreader they have the seven duck spreader and honestly you can link them up indefinitely or, or put multiple on a string but for me i like the ultimate spreader that's seven that's just enough motion to get Ripples going through the decoys. It makes a huge difference. If you're ever out there on a clear bluebird day, the water is just like glass. And if you see birds across the lake, you can see all those ripples. Or you see birds land away from you, you can see all those ripples. Birds can see it too. They get wary late season. And honestly, I wouldn't hunt without it if I can help it. So check it out, guys. Motionducks.com and use code duckgun2020 for 10% off. Also, like to give a big thanks to Bandit. My favorite piece of gear from Bandit this year has been the Marina Wool, the Marina Wool um, base layer. I think that's what they call it the base layer. Um, Marina Wool has some unique features that allow you to stay warm even when you're wet. So it's moisture wicking. You wear it as your base layer and it just keeps you warm. I wear that hoodie on all. Almost every single hunt, every single hunt that I have done my laundry beforehand, I'll wear it. Which is, I always try to get it, get it done and ready for the hunt because that piece is my go-to this year. Check them out, guys. Banded has everything you need from decoys. <coughs> excuse me, decoys, camo waders, everything. is the one-stop shop for the hunter. Also, like to give a big thanks to Tetra, you guys. Tetra has been pushing the cold hard truth campaign and it is it is the cold hard truth that only one out of every nine waterfowl hunters wears hearing protection and i was in that majority in the past and here recently i've been thinking more and more about it i've been hearing and feeling a little bit of loss of hearing and i don't like it you know it's a choice we make as hunters a lot of times because we want to hear the birds we want to hear our buddies talking we don't have to wear we don't want to we don't want to have to wear the big, bulky headphones that re, that uh, do the sound canceling, all that kind of stuff. Well, Tetra has made it possible for us as hunters now to wear something comfortable, and you don't lose all the experience that goes along with it. They've got it designed, built into their software to allow you to hear calling, to hear birds working, to hear your buddies talking, all that kind of stuff, and then, bam, it mutes it right when a gun fires right before gunfires. I don't know how the science works. I just know that I put them in my ear and it works. And, you know, it's a, it's a great way to protect yourself from having that problem in the future. And Elliot's kind of a living testament of that. So you don't want to be in those shoes later on. Check them out, guys, tetra.com. All right, next up, guys, I got Manscaping. Manscaping is one of the newer partners for the podcast. So definitely check those guys out and let them know that we sent them your way. So we sent you their way and the holidays have come early this year as Manscaped has Manscaped have the gift that keeps on trimming Santa's beard isn't so appealing when it's coming out of his trousers. That's why Manscaped the leader in below the waist grooming. Have you covered this holiday season now available in your country? Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped to keep their trees trimmed and ornaments polished. Go to manscaped.com and use code Gun for 20% off and free shipping. So check them out, guys. 20% off and free shipping with the code Gun at manscaped.com. Definitely a <laughs> quality product there. Trimmer is top-notch. So, all right, let's go ahead and jump to the questions, the Q&A for today's podcast. righty, got it pulled up here somewhere, or at least I did a minute ago alrighty fellas so we got the Q&A up like I said it's from the fellowship of the duck gun jump over to that group we do these periodically probably two or three times a year and you guys never fail with having some interesting questions so first off we got Matt and he says explain how you'd say no and how you'd educate someone who's asking to go hunting with you that is not an easy yes or no so Matt definitely agree with you on that um With your hunting group, you know, you got to keep people close to you, especially with those places that you uh, hold near and dear, your public land, secret spots, you just can't take anybody on. Also, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it, like number of people you can put in a boat, that kind of stuff. If you're doing a long haul with a boat and you only got a boat that can take three people, it's just, you know. Um, For me, I just have kind of, uh, you know, I have some buddies I hunt with and, it changes a lot. I know Elliot kind of sticks closer to a, a group all the time. Um, a lot of the times I'm the one kind of running my hunt or, well, not always. When I go with the Kevins, that's a lot of their spots. Um, this year I've actually added a lot as well to our repertoire up there in Michigan. But I don't know. It's It's definitely a hard one. We all want to educate hunters. We all want to take people with us, but it's really hard to work into a group. If you are trying to get into a group, I would say try to add value to that group. You know, kind of looking at from the other guy's perspective, trying to hunt with people. You know, and and that's hard for somebody that's new. Um, But you know, if you if you can't get with a group, that shouldn't stop you from hunting. Like I said, myself, I found some spots and public land and just went after it, and I hunted 11 times by myself. Actually, I was taken. I took a buddy with me a couple times in that um before i shot a duck so you kind of got to get after it uh yourself even but uh i think you know i think that kind of i don't know if, i don't know if there's a real good answer for you it, it's it's definitely hard i can agree with you on that i don't know how you tell one, tell one to tell someone explain to someone that it'd be a lot of explaining because there's a lot that goes into it so all right let's go on to the next one we got public land etiquette um, put that in there. That's something that Elliot and I were thinking about talking about. Um, so there's, there's the question on that. Um, but public land etiquette, you know, it's, it's, I think the the real question on this is, um, if someone takes you to a spot, the etiquette on that is that you don't go back to that spot. Um, if you've hunted with them for years and you hunt a spot together, I mean, maybe at some point that becomes... A little different, but um, as far as just going to a spot that somebody showed you, yeah, it's public land. But here's here's the best way to to explain it. If I tell someone here's the terms, these are public land spots, I know about them, I've done the work, I've put in the time, these are my public land spots. I did air quotes because obviously they're anybody, anybody can legally do it, but it is a it goes against duck hunting etiquette for someone to take you to a duck hunting spot if it's public land and then you go back to that same spot how would you feel if you have this honey hole it's your public land spot air quotes again um but the next saturday after taking someone they're there with your buddies i mean you're going to be ticked i get it public land you can legally do it but etiquette wise that's just it's just a no-go and i feel like 80% Eighty percent of hunters, if not more, feel this way. The other people that don't, I don't know. It's it's, I, I just can't fathom it. I can't wrap my mind around it exactly how, you know, how people think that that's something that's uh, a good idea. So, <laughs> we'll we'll leave it on that. Um, Dustin, have you read this article? Um, it's really thought provo- provoking, and he wants to know our thoughts on it. And it's uh, on the commercialization. Of waterfowl, good for duck hunting. So, Elliot actually read this one, answered it the last time around, but pretty much it goes into talking about guides and whether they're good for the sport and all that. And he talked particularly about Kansas and them not having a not having a uh, a license or anything uh, that requires the guides. It's just uh, the wild, wild west when it comes to that. And I guess the way he was setting it, putting it. There needs to be some kind of restrictions, but um, you know, I gave him a little bit of pushback. Uh, we don't want too much regulation either, so somewhere in the middle, there's got to be a happy medium. And he, uh, he was on the along the same si- the same line. So I shouldn't say pushback, but we just had a little back and forth discussion on it. But I personally didn't go through that article. It's a long article, um, and well, Elliot had the last time around. So <laughs> sorry, Dustin. I hope that hope that answers it a little bit. Um, we got Chris Spencer. How do you consistently recruit new or more hunters without adding more competition and pressure on your hunting spots? Um, that is a, a real dilemma. Invite them on hunts where it's just uh, spots that aren't super uh, hidden gems, or take them on public land spots if you got public land spots. I'm not going to take somebody new, especially if I feel like they're not going to be – Mm, what's the right word? I wouldn't take someone to like, uh, one of my secret honey hole spots, especially if you think they're going to start hunting because you get those new hunters and they only know a few spots and they just really burn them down. Um, so I'd take them to private spots where they can't go back without you. Um, make sure you have the talk with them. Like the terms I was saying, Hey, they're public land spots, but these are the terms you'd never find it without me. So if you won't agree to them, then I'm not going to take you to these spots because then you'll know about them and go there. So Um, Just make sure they agree to those terms and it's somebody you trust if you're going to do that. But, yeah, it's a hard one. Um, Recruiting new hunters, you know, for me and Elliot, we do the podcast and YouTube channels. Um, That's our way of helping kind of recruit people. I do personally take people every year. Almost every year I take somebody new. Um, But, yeah, it is is a tough one, but it is, you know, it's necessary to have new hunters as well. Um, it does fill with my spots. it kind of ebbs and flows where there's more pressure and less, and you know, I try to do my best <laughs> to make sure my secret favorite spots that there's less pressure. All right, Sean Dahl says the subject of having everyone wants to hunt, but um but oh sorry, I'm butchering the question so pretty much his question is people want to hunt, but they don't want to invite you on um. Everybody wants to hunt but they don't want to scout. So the subject on that. Um yeah. That that is that is uh that is true. I know lots of people like that. Um there's more people who want to hunt than there's people that want to scout. Um that's a tough one. But especially in field hunting and stuff like that, you got to have people scouting. You got to scout. You got to have a team effort. It makes a huge difference to have a team effort, you know. My my team this year has been Um, a lot of the Kevins early on, you know, hunting with, uh, some new guys this year with me and, and they did that. They, they did pretty well scouting as a team as well. So, um, it's definitely makes a big difference, but yeah, if people don't want to scout, I mean, there's, you shouldn't feel bad about not inviting somebody that doesn't want to scout and finding somebody that does want to scout, you know, there's certain people who always get an invite, even if they don't have the time to scout, you know, if they're Somebody I really like, but again, it goes to adding value to the group. I want people who add value to my group in one way or another, or I have to really like them. Like my dad just gets a free pass on pretty much anything. So, um, yeah, de- definitely uh, definitely a, a subject worth talking about with your group, and there's cer- certain people who just aren't going to put in the work no matter what, and you just got to decide if they're worth having in your group or not. All right, Houston Taylor says, What do you all think is the biggest threat to duck hunting? Access, bird numbers, habitat loss. Uh, I think that one is easy to say habitat loss, which affects the bird number. And, you know, in some instances does affect access. So um, with duck hunters, the problem we have is that I wouldn't say that bird numbers have gone down. I mean, we're long-term average. We're well above it. Um, Habitat loss, we've done pretty well. I say done like the community. With Delta and Ducks Unlimited and stuff like that, we're still, I, I would say we're still, you know, it, it's a battle that we've got to fight for sure on on Habitat for Ducks. Um, but the real problem is access. People are less likely to let you on private land, I feel like, more than ever before. Um, so we got more hunters kind of cramped into the same areas and, you know, less duck hunters, but less access. So, I don't know, those are all issues, but overall, you know, for the species, we definitely need to have that habitat for for ducks. All righty. Cody Castrovia, Kastrov- I think. I probably butchered that. But in one of the old older podcasts with a gentleman from Delta Waterfowl, you guys discuss on how droughts, food supply, and nesting habitat cause ducks to migrate late, uh, laterally before and during hunting season. Um, okay, this one's a little bit of a longer question. But, but yeah, migrations are, and so his question is, he goes on for, for a little bit there. Um, talks about his theory on the migration and all that. I, I would say I'm, I'm not an expert enough to give you an answer on that. I mean, birds migrate calendar, they migrate with the weather, um there's a lot that goes into it and yeah we should have John Devney on again. John Devney's a gra- great guest. Um uh, he'd be way better at answering um this question. A little a little bit a little bit over my head on that one. <laughs> righty. Christopher or sorry, Christian Flaminger. Flame Fleming Flaminger, sorry. Man, I can butcher some names pretty well. So, uh, his question says, Jordan spinner, pulsator swimmer, or decoys or more decoys in your opinion. Uh, man, I, I do like running big spreads. A lot of times I feel like that, uh, there's confidence in numbers, but I don't do it a lot. Uh, I get limited sometimes by the duck torpedo and number of people. So I'm going with just a couple dozen. Um, but I've done it a few times. I feel like I had really good decoying birds this year with bigger spreads. Um, So (laughs) spinner, pulsator, I like the motion ducks over pulsator and swimmers. I'll tell you that. Um, I do like having spinners, especially early in the season uh, in, in combination with the motion ducks, but I've had to pick one. It's probably going to be my go, go to spread would be motion ducks and a small decoy spread. So, uh, you know, there's different, different things for different times of the year, different times to change it up, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I really don't even use pulsators or swimmers at all, but, um, definitely, definitely good option if you're not going to run a motion ducks, but I feel like the motion ducks is king on that, on that motion. All right. Zach Miller says, how do you get your dog interested in picking up birds? So for me, this is a drive thing. Um, I don't know if you're having a, a trouble, like transitioning from bumpers to live birds, or what? But even you know, just drive overall will help overcome um, some of those things. So if you're having a drive issue, which I had a drive issue with Chief early on. So first off, make everything positive when it comes to it. Don't worry about some of the finer things with duck hunting. Just make sure everything's fun, um, and then you can go back and correct from there. Again, I'm not a dog expert. I'm going to tell you what I would do. Um, <laughs> I hope the dog experts agree with me on this, but this is what I would do. Um, And then as far as that drive with bumpers, don't overdo it in the backyard. Don't overdo it with training five, 10, eight, somewhere in there Uh, and do it every day. Get them crazy about it. The bumper right at the end and then take it and put it in your pocket. So that way you always have them super interested in it. And then you put it, you take that away and that helps drive up the, or increase the drive. And uh, honestly, I feel like that did a huge work for me. That's what I did with the chief. I'd do three or four, get him super excited, all fun retrieves, then bring him back, and from there, get him super excited about it, play a little bit of keep away, and like didn't let him get the bumper at all, then put it in my back pocket and walked away. And so then every day he was super excited when I got it back out. So hopefully that helps you. Um, if he's a young dog, don't get discouraged. A lot of things can change. I was in particularly, <laughs> I was particularly dist- discouraged with Chief early on, I'll say that. Um, probably almost up to the point where he was three years old, which, um, we had tons and tons of issues, but now he's a freaking stud, a freaking stud when it comes to the drive. I mean, watch some of his last YouTube videos. Again, I'm biased. He's my dog, but he's been, he's been killing it. All right. Brayden, how to find honey holes on public land where no one goes. Is it easy to find good food sources, and is it easy to get away from people? Hard to put two together, though. Elliot did comment on this one on YouTube. He said, "You don't always need a good food source." I would agree. Um, man, the first thing I always do is Map Scout, and I map style, Scout like crazy. Get on there and Onyx. I have so many pins; it's almost I had to go back through and delete pins so that I could actually uh, <laughs> manage and use it usefully. It just had way too many pins up there, but. First thing I do is map scout everywhere. Try to find every little hole that you can, mark them, jump over, and you know find a day where you can just go around and knock out and scout those 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 places. You got to do a lot of it in season to actually find the birds and know how it's going to be. A lot of things play into it, like you said, food source, water level. Things can change from year to year, um, but yeah, finding places that other people haven't. There's a lot of people who are going to be doing the same thing as you. Like I said earlier, some of these things kind of ebb and flow, but I think the key is to have as many places and options as possible. And it's a long game. Don't get too concerned early on. You know, um, just try to get better and better spots. You find spots that don't pan out, call them off your list and just keep working. Keep working, increasing it, and getting as many options as you can. All right. Blake says best midday snack to go to really get those birds moving. <laughs> um, for me, man, I don't do a ton of snacks, but we do a lot of breakfast. We have in the past. I haven't done it as much this year, but that's my go-to. Duck burritos on the old Coleman grill. Can't beat it. Robert said, What are you guys' route schedules on editing? Late nights, sleeping, repeat. Okay, yeah. So pretty much he's like, Man, it's a, it's a struggle getting out that much content and, you know, they are pumping it out. Um, you're right. This time of year, there's there's almost more than we can get done between content, podcast, YouTube, and some stuff does have to give. Um, <laughs> we just can't get it all done. So, yeah, um, I, I'll get as much done. I'll put out the good videos. This year, I do hold some back. You guys have been seeing it on the YouTube channel. I put a lot out in August kind of leading up to video or to video, to season. Everybody's getting excited. So some of those hunts get saved and, you know, um, been doing it for five years. Elliot's been doing it for six years. So we're pretty efficient, too, on pumping out those videos. I'm way faster than I used to be. Already, Marco says, instead of raffia grass, what are your thoughts on using dead palm leaves as camo for grassing your kayak? Um, I think those palm leaves are pretty close to what they use for grass mats. Um, but yeah, I really love using raffia as a base layer and then using natural stuff along with that, whatever's around to kind of add to it. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I'd go for it. I really can't tell you cause I think those palm leaves are down in like Florida tropical places. I don't have a lot of experience in those areas. So I would just say, go for it. If it's natural and it matches, um, if it covers you, then that's probably a good way to do it. All right, Brian says, what is the most illegal thing you've ever done during a duck hunt? All right. Sorry, guys. I'm not going to go into any detail. I've I've not done anything. I'm a perfect little angel when it comes to the duck hunting. So um, I do my best to never do anything illegal. Um, I do not want any visits from DNR officers because if they're coming to my house, it's probably not a good day for me. (laughs) They're They're probably not coming here just to say, hey, um, yeah, uh, I'm not going to do anything illegal knowingly. So, uh, it's probably good practice for all duck hunters. All right. Daniel says worst poop you've had taken in the field. Um, I know that when I went out to Kansas last time, LA lost a sock, had to go out in the woods, got athletes, butt. lasted for a few months. So that's a joke. He's not here. He's not here. So I'll just set this as a joke. I wish I could leave that, but <laughs> but I'll say that. I mean, I just gave you guys that uh, that poop story earlier on. Um, wasn't quite out in the field, but it was almost a disaster. David says, narrowing down ducks when water is abundant. Oh, man, that definitely makes it hard. I'll say my favorite time of the year is when it's the opposite. When we get to the late season, everything freezes up, and birds just flock to the big water. They flock to the rivers. They flock to anywhere where there's a little bit of open water makes it way easier and makes it seem like we have way more ducks too. So narrowing them down, it just comes down to hours and hours of scouting, having spots historically that, you know, the birds hang out, finding the food sources, patterning the birds. Um, but really it comes down to it. It's a lot harder when there's a lot of water and not a lot of ducks. So I I would just say do your scouting and, and hopefully you can get on them. Good. Um, that, that is really when the scouting does pay off because if you can find a spot where there's 20, 30 mallards, you know, it's way better than just winging it. You know, hopefully you find even more than that, but if you find something like that, maybe it's worth hunting, but, uh, a, a lot of times there's more ducks than what you're seeing. So I don't know. Hopefully that helps. It, it is a hard thing to do to narrow it, narrow it down when, when there's a lot of options for the ducks. All right. Hunter Bish, he says, what duck call do you use? Um, Ellie and I both have some Brotherhood calls, Brotherhood productions, where they made some cool logos on it, the FDH one and the Duck Gun one. Um, And then uh, from Polk Pattern calls, I've been running those for years. Really enjoy his calls as well. And then uh, one thing he's got super cool is the little whistle. It's almost like the four-in-one, but it's like a hand-turned whistle. You can do like the till peep. You can do the mallard um, whistle. So it's super useful, always on my lanyard. Uh, i check him out as well. All right. Ethan says, what is your best hunting story? Super Bowl predictions this year. Elliot, I think Elliot says he's got a, he said he had Kansas and the Buccaneers or something like that. I think that's what he said. Um, I can't remember. Honestly, I don't watch a lot of pro football. I won't make predictions on it because I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, I mean, did Peyton Manning come out of retirement or the Colts going to win? I don't know. Um, I'm going to guess no. I watch college sports. I really I really man, pro I do I do watch the Super Bowl, but <laughs> besides that I really don't watch much pro football. I really enjoy college college football and college basketball, and that's where it's at. All right. Oh, best hunting story. Um, uh, man, that's a hard one. Uh one that I used to tell a lot, one that I used to talk about a lot was my first really really good mallard hunt in the place that I called the honey hole. I hunted that for years. Every once in a while, I'll still go over there, but it gets a lot of pressure. It's on a farm off a public public river, and uh, we just had some really, really good duck hunts early on um, there. So it got named the honey hole. Just had mallards cupping in there like crazy. Scouted them, found them myself, had my buddy Hunter come with me. I think that was the first hunt we ever went on together, and we just had mallards cupping in like crazy. Shallow. Little flooded area between creeks coming off the river, super cool, and that's really when I got to see what duck hunting could be all about. And we had hundreds of mallards all around us before shooting light, and just from there, it was just non stop action, beautiful, bright, sunny day with these full colored up mallards coming right in. Um, I was already in love with the sport, but that just uh, that really kind of put the nail in the coffin for me. Um, I was hooked from that point on, just running my grandpa's. A5, 20-gauge, it was an awesome hunt. (coughs) Excuse me. All right, Grant asked, do you guys count ducks not retrieved in your bag? So legally, you don't have to from what I've – my understanding is legally you don't have to, but, um, you know, there's some arguments for ethically that you should. So uh, for the most part, man, um, I do count birds that I lose, that I 100% saw – dropped them, know that they went down, I count those towards my back limit. But legally, um, I believe legally you don't have to. I don't know if that's different in any other state, but that's that's kind of I think that's how I believe it, it works um, just across the country. All right, Connor has another question. Uh, this one's specifically for me. At least not here anyway, so <laughs> why does it matter? But uh, Connor said, what's your favorite zone in Michigan to hunt? North, middle, or south? That's a tough one, man. We picked up some really, really cool spots in the south zone. This last hunt was from the south zone. Um, central zone, we got some, or middle zone. Um, we got some cool marshes we like to hit up. There's a lot of cool places, co- cool opportunities in the central. And then the north zone, first year going up there. I don't know, second year, sorry. Second year, both my experiences in the UP have been awesome. Honestly, all Michigan's just such a cool state. So. I love it all. It's really hard. Previously, I would have said the middle zone just because um, we've had really good openers on that, but mm, it's just a hard one to say. It's a hard one for me to, to narrow down. All right, Dustin, what is the most unique, uncommon, or odd thing you carry in your blind bag that most people don't think to carry that comes in handy? Hmm, the most unique thing. Oh, uh, man, that's a that's a hard one. Um, I don't think I carry too many things out of the usual I mean, I got my calls, I got my ammo, got the GoPros. That's unusual. It's pretty handy making videos. Um, I keep my quick release for Chief because he breaks. And uh, a lot of times I bring baby wipes. So those come in handy so you don't have to lose a sock or a sleeve. Um, all right. Samantha says, Beth, best. <clears throat> Excuse me. Best advice for stale birds. <clears throat> That's uh that's a hard one. Um, for me, the best advice is find the places that other people haven't hunted. Um, these birds get hunted, they get pressured. That's why they're stale. They're not coming into your set because they know what's up. They're coming to and fro, going places that uh, they know are safe. So, if you can find a place that other people haven't hunted, whether it's public land or private land, those are your best chances to get birds to commit because they've been there and they haven't been pressured there yet. So, um, you know, if you get the birds getting nocturnal, still your best bet is finding those places where hopefully in the day they might go just because they've been safe there for a week or a couple weeks or something like that. Stell birds is, you know, birds that have been in the area for a while and just know the safe places. Um, they know all the public land spots where they get shot at and they don't go anymore. <coughs> all right. Elliot said, how much would you take for the jam matic shotgun? Or sorry, Justin asked that about Elliot. Um, uh, man, sorry, Justin, I can't remember what his answer was, but I, I think he said something like, uh, uh, free thirty, <laughs> not really. Um, free thirty. I don't think he's gonna sell it. I think I butchered that joke too. So um, Matthew said, "I would love to hear your thoughts on hunting with new groups." Wow, we got this new group thing it is the <laughs> it is the hot topic for today. Recently, been branching out with new guys and groups. It seems that everyone wants on the good hunts. But nobody wants to share good hunts in return. Yeah, that's a hard one. Groups are a super hard thing to figure out. So, yeah, I think we cover a lot of that. I think the best thing is to bring value. And hopefully, you know, if if I have it happen too many times, you know, it, it, I get that, exactly what you're saying. It's a tough one. So add value. Hopefully that value gets you on the hunts, whether it's being the guy who's a dog, a boat, blinds, decoys, brings food, whatever. Some way to make the group more successful. New spots that you invite them to. Hopefully that does the trick. If not, it's like move on to find different people to hunt with. All righty. Man, just going with one person. I think I I went through these way faster Um, because first time around this podcast was like an hour 20. So Elliot must have had a lot to say. All right, Matthew says, one more thing. Um, things to add to the freelance, freelance hunt stats. He doesn't say one more thing. I just added that. Profiles for your dog to track how many birds they pick up. And comparing data from different seasons side by side. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of stuff in the works. It's just time and money on that. Everything we have from the Patreon group goes right back into hunt stats. Everything we make off hunt stats goes right back into paying our programmer to do that. And every single month, He's got a, a certain amount of hours that we're paying him for um, to do these updates, turn it into an app. So it's an app on the phone this year, some awesome things, but yeah, the dog tracker, um, that is an idea that we've had. That's going to be implemented. I don't know how soon, but it's definitely on our list of things to add um, side-by-side comparison. We've talked about it. That's a little bit more, but uh, guys, if you don't know what we're talking about freelance sunstats stats, awesome. I should have mentioned it at the beginning. I know I didn't. So you can track your data there. You can track your hunts, number of birds killed, species, weather, location, all that kind of good stuff. It's awesome. Check it out, guys. We're making it cool, adding new features all the time. One of my favorite features from it this last year is the leaderboards. Um, super cool. You can see all the flyaways, guys, actually are on the leaderboards over there counting their uh, their bird numbers, and species have different values like a drake. Mallards five, a hens two, that kind of stuff. Tills three, wood ducks are five, geese are five. You guys get it. Black ducks are six. I think uh, I think pintails are six as well. I've never put one in, so I can't remember the the data on that. But alrighty, I think this is probably a good place to go ahead and wrap her up. Thanks guys for tuning in for a solo edition of the Duck Gun Podcast. Guys, one last one last reminder: jump over to Duck Gun Chronicles and help me help me. Smash Matt again, um, and then we can rip his hairs off. It'll be awesome. So that's all we got for today, guys. I'm Jordan, Duck and Chronicles, and we'll see you guys on the next one.